Good to see you guys tonight. Is it good to see me? <laughs> hey, Bree, little sister, thanks for bringing your heart. They were breaking me down, man. I was turning into Pastor Jeff up here, I'll tell you. I think the older I get, the more, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but that was a good word. You know me, I love God's word, and I love his love. I'm so thankful for his love. And Brother Foss, thanks for doing that song. All my hope is Jesus. I'm going to miss that guy a lot, and I know all of us are going to miss him, right? And I know God's got a new journey for the Foss family, and we need to be praying for him. That God would use them as they travel away from us. That's part of church. I pastored a long time, and part of the church is people coming in and people going back out again. Most of the time, it's for good reasons. Sometimes it's not good reasons, but uh, I know it's a good reason, and God's leading them on. Well, you guys excited to hear the word tonight? I hope so. I love teaching it, so, you know, it's good. If you got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 21 through 30 tonight. And kind of like I always like doing, I kind of want to back up a little bit. And we're going to do the table talk almost towards the very end of the message. So don't think that I'm not going to, you know, get you guys to doing that, but I'm going to. In chapter 8, we see Jesus battling the religious leaders who desperately, they want to kill him so bad. They're so envious of him. They hate him. They hate him with a passion, and they just, they, they want to trick him. And previously in, in verses 1 through 11, they bring that adulterous woman before him and trying to trick him, just like the devil tries to trick us. You guys know that, right? Be aware of his trickiness. He's, he's, he, the Bible describes him as, as an angel of light. He's very deceptive, and if we don't watch out, we can be tricked by him. And they were trying to trick Jesus with this woman brought before him. And hopefully who taught that section noticed that there wasn't a man there. And there was supposed to be the man that she was having relationships standing right there before them. And he wasn't there. All they did was bring the woman to him. And I'm not going to get into the whole story there and stuff, but, you know, they were both supposed to be stoned. And the story is basically Jesus finally writing probably all their sins in the dirt. They all finally left, and he said, I don't condemn you. Take off. King David, man after God's own heart, he was an adulteress. He really was. He should have been stoned. He should have been put to death. But God, in his great mercy and his love, his love, let him not be put to death through that whole thing. Oh, he suffered. He, his life truly suffered, because sin usually does punish sin one way or another. But... He didn't receive what he deserved, and that's what mercy is. In verses 12 through 19, Jesus says that he's the light of the world. We're talking about the light tonight. I love that Jesus said that he's the light of the world, and he said that, you know what? If you come to me, you come in my light. You don't have to be in darkness anymore. If you don't know Jesus, you are in darkness. But us who know Jesus and follow Jesus, we're in the light. We don't have to walk in the darkness that is there. And it's amazing that light appears in Genesis, verse 3 of chapter 1, where God creates light. And then all of a sudden I said, gosh, I wonder how far it goes all the way to the end of the books. And in the book of Revelation, in verse 
uh, chapter 21, verse 23, it says when he, when he makes a new heaven and a new earth and that new Jerusalem, it says that there won't be a sun and there won't be a moon. And you go, well, how does the light come? Well, the Bible says that the lamb is the light. Just like Jesus said, he is the light, the lamb is the light, and he is the lamb. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 16, it says that he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. In the New American Standard Bible, it says unapproachable light. Remember when Moses went up on top of the mountain, he had that encounter with God, and in the bush, there was light there. Notice the children of Israel, as they traveled throughout the wilderness areas, God was taking them out of the bondage and bringing them into the promised land that, what, he had a, 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 he had a cloud by day, and he had, what, a pillar by night. He gave them light. God is light. He is light. Jesus told them that if they knew his father, and that's who sent him, that they would know him, but they didn't know him. Jesus told them that, you know what, to make a true statement, the law said that all you need is two people. Because they were saying, you're not speaking the truth. Although he said earlier, I am the truth. You need two witnesses. And what Jesus said to them in this previous part here, he said that the Father is one witness and I am one witness. That makes two. So it's truth that Jesus was speaking. But they weren't buying into it. As we look in these, these chapters here, we're, we're in the last six months of his life. I hope you guys realize that. John puts so much of the scriptures in just the last six months of his life. And he's going to return to heaven soon. And I was thinking about heaven. I can't wait to go. How many of you guys can't wait to go? I want to get out of here. <laughs> I really do. I'm so sorry, tired of sickness and pain and sorrow and hate and suffering and taxes and bills. I really am. Aren't you? Amen. <laughs> I really, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. I really can't. And I'm glad you guys do too. Tonight we're going to look at these religious leaders that again he's battling with. And as we look at them, we're going to see four things. Four things that will keep a person from going to heaven. Four things that will keep a person out of heaven. You know, our world is dying in their sin or sins. And unless they grab a hold of Jesus, they're doomed. You guys realize that? Your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, your neighbors, all of those people that we come in contact with, unfortunately, unless they grab a hold of the light, Jesus, they're doomed. Let's stand up and let's honor God's word tonight. I'm going to read through the first couple verses here, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get right into it. Verse 21 of uh, chapter 8. It said, Later Jesus said to them, I am going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. And then verse 22, he says this. The people asked, and really it's the leaders who are asking this or stating it, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean you cannot come where I am going? Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that we get to come together in you, in your spirit, and that we have fellowship with one another and we have fellowship with you. Thank you for your word, Lord, that it is a light and it's a lamp unto our feet. Speak to us tonight. Take the words I say and with the Holy Spirit, put that in your people's hearts, Lord. 
bring forth much fruit tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? So we're going to find four things tonight, and I'll go through these things. But Jesus said really four things uh, here to them. He says this, I'm going away. Secondly, you will search for me. Third, he says, you'll die in your sin. And then in fourth, you cannot come where I am going. Not the most uplifting, encouraging words to these guys. I mean, Jesus and the religious leaders really don't get together very well. And, and they don't have a great relationship, unfortunately. He says to them, I am going away. This is the second time that he said this. Back in chapter 7, verse 33, he almost said the exact same thing. He says, I'll be with you only for a little while, and then I'm taken off again. Uh, Jesus is alluding to his return to heaven. I was thinking about it. He's going, wow, he's only really been away from heaven for 33 years. You know, in, in time, that's like nothing. But Jesus is referring that I'm going back again. I'm heading back to my heavenly throne, which I left. You and I as followers and believers of Christ, we're going to go away one day. We really are. I was looking through the scriptures again in 1 Thessalonians 4, talking about the rapture of the church. You know, we ought to do a teaching on that. The rapture of the church and the gathering up of us in the air and being brought up with him. That's going to happen, guys, one day. Whether you die and you go home to be with Jesus, go to heaven, or if he blows the trumpet, we go and we take off without even experiencing death. I hope that's the way we get to go. Wouldn't that be great? I think it'd be awesome. So he said, I'm going away. Secondly, he said, you will search for me. This is the second time he says that. In verse 34 of chapter 7, he said, look it, you're going to seek for me. You're not going to find me anymore. They're going to miss the boat. That's what they're going to do. They're going to miss the boat. They won't find him teaching. They won't find him walking around, healing people, ministering to people, feeding people, loving people. He'll be gone. Isaiah 55, 6 says this. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Long time ago, and it's long, back in 1974, I was seeking. I was searching. I was looking for answers. I was looking for purpose of life. I was looking for meaning. And thank God I found Jesus. I found him. I found him. I got a little grandkid. I got two of them now. I've been really blessed. But my five-year-old grandkid, he likes playing hide-and-go-seek. How many of you got grandkids or little kids? They play hide-and-go-seek, and they're so bad at it, aren't they? I mean, they're just terrible. I'll come home, and my wife, my little grandkid's in the house, and he's hiding. My wife goes, he's hiding. Find him, you know. And I can almost hear him laughing and stuff like that, and he's just under a blanket. <laughs> He's just terrible at it. He's just terrible at, 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 at doing that. I can find him so quickly. But Jesus says to these religious leaders, he says, you know what, guys? You're going to seek for me. It's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. I'm going to be back in heaven, and you're not going to find me. You're not going to find me. And then he says, thirdly, that they're going to die in their sin. This is the third time he said that. And if he says it three times, it must be really, really important. And as I said before, you know, 
our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, our neighbors, they're going to die in their sins unless they grab a hold of Jesus. The meaning there is that they're going to be separated from the presence of God for eternity. They're going to be in hell. That's where they're going to be. That's not going to be a nice place. It really isn't. To be separated in complete, utter darkness and despair. That's not a great place to be. They'll be forever in that place of darkness. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus in 1971, I got out of the darkness. And I was brought into his marvelous light. That's what he did for me. And then he says, fourthly, he says, you can't come where I'm going. He said it the second time. He said it one time before in verse 34 of chapter 7. And you and I know what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about going to heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about going back to where he came from. The fact is, guys, is this. You can only get to heaven one way. You know, for us who were part of the Jesus movement, we used to say one way, man, and that's it. There's only one way. My brother's got a scripture on his shirt tonight in John chapter 14, 6. And that's what I said. I said, I'm using that verse tonight. We should know it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Only Jesus. Only way, guys. No other way. Acts 4, 4, 12 says this. There is salvation in no one else. And when he means no one else, no one else. No one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that's Jesus. It's only Jesus. You know, verse 22, he says, the people asked, it's more of a statement from these leaders. Is he planning to commit suicide? What does this mean? You can't come where I'm going. It's a strange thing that he's talking about. They're, they're, they're saying, is he planning on committing suicide? What's going on here? As I did some research and study, Orthodox Jews believe that suicide was a sin. And that if a, a, a person would commit suicide, they would be cast out into utter darkness for eternity. Back at that time when Jesus was speaking about this, there was a place called Abraham's bosom. Have any of you heard that spoken of in the scriptures there? Yeah. That was the place where Jews went when they died. If you look back in Luke chapter 16, you see the rich man and you see Lazarus and the two of them. One's in Abraham's bosom, you know, not the rich man. And you see the rich man over here in, in, in the bad place in hell. And all he wanted was just a little bit of water and he wanted this Lazarus to go back and just tell all of his relatives, don't take the route that I went. It's not going to be a great place. It truly isn't. Jesus preached and led the captives free. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, we're not looking at that. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, talks about he really he went down and he preached to those captives that were there, and they took off. He took them with him. Listen, the Bible doesn't say that suicide is a sin. It doesn't. If it does, show me a scripture where it says that. And you say, well, come on, Randy. We're, we're, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know it is. But I really don't believe that you're going to be lost forever in darkness like these Orthodox Jews believed, if you're a believer in Christ. What I believe happens when a person falls off into suicide is that Satan, the devil, is working very strongly in that person's life, and he's playing mind games with them. And he's speaking so much hopelessness in their life 
that they can't see anything, but the only way to get out is to take their own personal life. It's very satanic. I really believe that. These leaders, kind of what they're saying here when, when they say that, you know, you can't, that we can't go where you're going. What are you talking about? They're kind of sarcastically saying to him, I hope I'm not going to that dark place that you're talking about. Remember what I was just talking about? They're saying, we don't, we're not going there. We're better than that. We deserve heaven. I know you might be going into that dark place, but that's not where we're going. You see, what Jesus is pointing out to these guys is they can't get to heaven because of their pride. And that's the number one thing that keeps us out of heaven, is our pride. Remember, pride keeps us receiving God's blessings and God's power in our life. Some of you might not be experiencing those things in in your life. It could be your own pride that's preventing you from receiving. See, that's what pride does. God will let you have pride. It doesn't matter. It just, it, it just stops you from receiving what he wants to give to you. And I found over the years that religious people have the hardest time letting go, letting go of their pride. Religious people do. Why? Because they'll have to admit that their way is wrong. They have to admit that they don't have all the answers. Whether they're religious or not. People have to wrestle with their own pride that's in their life. Remember, religion is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Never religion. Christianity, guys, you've heard me say this over and over again. Other people say it's a relationship. When someone comes up to you and say, well, what's your religion? Say, I don't have a, I, I tell them, I don't have a religion. I got a relationship with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. So number one is pride. Let's go on. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus continued, you are from below and I'm from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said to you, excuse me, that is why I, excuse me, that is why I said that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Jesus tells him, he said, look, you guys are from there, here, and I'm from above. Jesus is from heaven, God's kingdom, God's realm, God's dominion, God's system. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying, you religious leaders are from below. You're you're not from this kingdom. You're, you're, You're from the world's kingdom. You're from its domain, its realm, its system. Before I was a believer in Christ, I was part of that world system. Unbelievers are part of that world system. So what are you talking about, Randy? What I'm talking about is this world that you and I live in, this cosmos or cosmos, however you want to look at it, and that's the word that's used there, it has a system to it. It has a political system. It, 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 it works in the entertainment field. It, it works in the monetary system. It works in the educational system. It works in all of it. And what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, he says, you're part of this system. I'm not part of this system. And you and I as Christians better understand that. You've heard me say that many times talking about this system. Listen to what the Bible says about it. Not just this old guy up here, but what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 2 in uh, uh, Philip's translation. 
Let me get a drink of water here. I like the Phillips translation from time to time. We're talking about the world system. Never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time for the whole world system based as it is upon, look at, men's desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid. It is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. The world and all of its passionate desires will one day, what? Disappear. But the man who follows God will in part, excuse me, will in part of the permanent and cannot die. James 4, Jesus' brother says this, and I remember reading this as a young Christian and it about scared me to death. He said, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Wow. And look at it in the Amplified Version. It says this, you are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not... Excuse me, do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Wow. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, which is the prayer, we're going to hit it coming in John chapter 17, and I've got it up there. Listen what he says. I have given them your word, he's talking to the Father, and the world hates them because they do not belong to what? This world, talking about the followers of Christ. Just as I do not belong to the world, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. We have to be careful we don't get pulled into the world and into its system. Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Timothy, I'm not, I don't have it up there, but he says that I lost one of the, he lost one of his disciples, Demas, to the world, to the world system. He was pulled away back into the world. So the number two thing that keeps us from going to heaven is we're part of the world system. Let's go on, verse 20, uh, or let's look at 24. We already read that. He says to them that your leader, he says that they will die in their sins. Why? Because of their unbelief. And see, that's the third thing there. There's pride, there's being part of the world system, and the third thing is their unbelief. Unless you believe, he says, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am the great I am. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, let's look at this verse here. It's great. This is Moses and God kind of talking on top of the mountain there. He's been called up there. God's going to give him an assignment to go lead his people out of the bondage and into the promised land. And God replied to Moses. He says, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. That's interesting, isn't it? Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Jesus used those words over and over again. That's the point I'm trying to make here. He kept saying, I am. I am what? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I mean, the, the list just goes on 
over and over and over again. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the water of life. They knew what he was saying. They knew he was speaking and being equal with God. Listen, just because somebody doesn't believe something doesn't make it untrue, right? They didn't believe he was who he was claiming to be, but he was who he claimed to be. You know, many believe that Jesus can do miracles, that he's a good man, that he's a rabbi. So what? James says this. Jesus' brother again says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Well, that's a good thing. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. See, the leaders didn't have that saving faith that we've talked about before. They didn't have that. What is this believing that Jesus is talking about? It's commitment. That's what it is. Now, how many of you are married? Okay, when you were at that wedding ceremony, hopefully your pastor or the person, you know, doing the marriage ceremony talked a lot about commitment. I sure know that when I was pastoring and I did weddings, I talked a lot about it because that was the most important thing I thought. Commitment. There's a commitment between two people. In that relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a commitment. There's a giving. There's a handing over. There's being uh, uh, obliged to. And part of that, that believing is reliance upon Jesus for salvation. Not rules, not regulations, not your good works. What it's basically talking about here, guys, is, is you're entrusting your spiritual well-being, future and present, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25. And we're going to kind of take this down one at a time here. Verse 25. They say, who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. Who are you? It, it, I had to write this kind of in how, you know, he's kind of really trying to say here. It's, they're, they're really saying to him, who do you think you are? Have any of you ever said that before? I have. People don't like when I say that. Because kind of like these guys is they're, they're saying it in a very stinky and an arrogant kind of attitude. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are? And Jesus just kind of looks back at him and says, the one I've always claimed to be. The one I've been saying over and over and over and over again. Kind of almost if I got to write that, Jesus say, are you kidding me? Don't you love saying that? I love saying that. Look at my wife someday. Are you kidding me? But he's saying to him, are you kidding me? Haven't you guys been listening to what I've said over and over and over and over again? He's given them so many chances and opportunities. Before I gave my life to Christ in 1971, he was giving me opportunities. He was giving me chances to receive him, and I just didn't want anything to do with him. And that's the fourth thing. It's willful rejection of Jesus being Lord. Willful rejection. That's what they were doing. They were saying, I am not going to submit to you. We're going to do table talk here in a sec. Out of these four that we talked about, we've got pride, we've got being part of the world, we've got unbelief, and we've got willful rejection. I did every one of those 
they were all in my heart except for the belief thing. I knew he was Lord. I just didn't want to submit to that. So what I want you guys to do, do we have it up there? I want you to just share which one or ones of these kept you from receiving Christ as Lord. There they are. So share with you guys. We're getting towards the end, so the quicker you get it done, the quicker we go home. Got a little bit more to share here. All right? All right. I know you don't have enough time, but we got to get on. How many of you had pride? How many of you had the world? How many of you had unbelief? Oh, how many of you had wolf for rejection? Yeah. How many of you have had all of them? <laughs> all right, good. There you go. Oh, now you know Jesus. Let's get on. All right. So verse 26. We'll go through this pretty quick and wrap it up. He says this, and it's pretty heavy here. He says, I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. I bet they were glad for that. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. Much to say, but he didn't. He kind of zipped his lip and didn't say a word because the Father didn't want him to do that. And you look in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Paul the Apostle confronted Peter right to his face for something he was doing. And we're not going to get into it, but it was in front of everybody. So Jesus could have done that to each and every one of these guys that were standing there. But he said, I'm not going to do that. Verse 27, he says this. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about the Father. It's amazing. They just didn't get it. They didn't connect the dots. Do I have that picture up there? You got that? Who's up there? There you go. <laughs> Me and my grandson did that. He didn't know what it meant to connect the dots. You know, and on this one here, he's got a whole thing with Simba and all these guys. It's the lion guard and everything. On this one, it had partially, you know, some of the things so you could kind of see what it was. For the people that are older, you don't get to see any of that. You start connecting the dots. I had to show him how to start connecting the dots. You see, these religious leaders, whether they just didn't get it or whether they just didn't want to connect the dots, they didn't know who Jesus really was through all of that. Verse 28, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand, and here it is again, that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father taught me. Only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases Him. Jesus said, look, you're going to know for sure that I am who I say that I am. You know, they pressured Pilate to crucify Christ. Pilate said, this man's innocent. I wash my hands of it. You do with him as you want. He knew he was an innocent man. They pressured him. They got him to be put on the cross. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus was on the cross with those two criminals dying a criminal's death, that the one criminal looked at him and he believed and he knew that he was the son of God. He said, I know you got a kingdom and can you take me there? And Jesus looked at him and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
He's talking about today, I'll take you to Abraham's bosom because that's where I'm going when I die. He knew it. And also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the temple veil, it says that it ripped from the top to the bottom. Those religious leaders knew no human being could do that. Only God could do that. The centurion soldier that, that saw Jesus being crucified up there, what did he say? He said, this man is innocent. He is the son of God. See, these Pharisees, when they saw him on that cross, God let them know who he was, that he was truly who he had said that he was. And in verse 28 and 29, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. I do what pleases the Father always. Don't you wish you could say that? I wish I could say that because I don't always please him. I don't always please him. I wish I did. But it's interesting that what you see here is that he was always led by the Spirit. When we went through the book of Acts, we saw the apostles. We saw just people like you and I being led by the Spirit of God and doing things, powerful things, great things of God. It's an amazing being led by the Spirit of God. God wants, listen, to lead each and every one of us by his Spirit. And if you ask him and say, Lord, just lead me, he will lead you. The more you are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more he'll lead you that way. Does that make sense? You know, I, I, think, it was, uh, I think it was Jeremy that was teaching through and, and, and Elijah, you know, throwing himself three times over that young boy. That was spirit-led. That's what the spirit was telling him to do. When Elijah... You know, that was the one who got the mantle after Elijah passed away. When he goes and, and he speaks to Naaman, this great army guy, full of pride. And the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, go tell that guy to go wash down in that dirty Jordan River seven times and he'll be clean. And what did Naaman do? I'm not doing that. Well, he didn't get clean until he did do that. That's Spirit-led. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. God wants us to be a, a church that is... It's led by the Spirit of God. That when you go out, when you talk to people, when you minister to people, he wants you to be sensitive to hear his Spirit speak to you. And maybe cause you to do something different, weird, I don't know. Maybe he'll say, you need to give that guy 10 bucks. Hey, maybe you need to go get that guy. You understand what I'm saying? That's what the Spirit of God will do if we just open our hearts up and, and let him Use us to do his work. And then at the very end of this whole thing, and this is great, verse 30, and we're going to pray and go home. Then many who heard him say these things did what? They believed in him. They believed in him. Isn't that great? All this battling going on with these religious leaders, and all of a sudden, some of the people that were standing there listening go, I believe that. They had that believing faith and they accepted Christ into their life. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for saving our souls. Maybe there's some that aren't here that are, that are here tonight that, that don't know you. I pray they make a commitment right now that they ask Jesus, Jesus, come in my life. Make me a new person. Bring your light in my life. I'm in darkness. For us that know you, Lord, lead us, guide us, direct us, Help us to be led by your spirit. 
Thank you so much, Lord, that we don't walk in darkness anymore. Help us. Pull us away from the world as we begin to get pulled back by the world and its system and how it lies and, and just tries to draw us into their, their belief system. Your word, you, Lord, you speak different words. You speak words of life, not death. Thank you so much. Bless my brothers and sisters. Have them go out in the power of the Holy Spirit tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.